All right, well, we are on week two of our Young Guys Preaching series through the summer. And last week, Josh Hutchinson, former pastoral intern, current pastoral assistant, preached on 2 Corinthians 4, did a fantastic job. Tonight, Drew Nelson, current pastoral intern at Crosspoint, is coming to speak on Psalm 146. And um, I'm just really excited about Drew and his gifts and how he's been serving the church. So come on up, Drew. Let me pray for you here. Just a, a, a little description of Drew. Um, I, I describe Drew as like a human Swiss army knife. So he, he can lead worship. He's got a really good mind. We've been having him write and read stuff. He's just a really good thinker. But he's also like just willing to be like a blue-collar guy and just do grunt stuff around the church. He's working at VBS. He can hang with the kids. He can have a conversation, you know, really deep theological conversation. So, yeah, he's just kind of like the Crosspoint Swiss Army knife. And um, he's going to preach on Psalm 146. And I'm really encouraged by the work of the Lord in Drew's life. So let me pray for you, brother. Lord, thank you for Drew and his gifts and his life and uh, the sense of... A calling that he has to declare your word to serve your church and I pray that tonight that you would encourage the saints that help form Christ in us through our brother we're thankful for him and we pray your grace upon him in Jesus name amen, amen. I think this is on yeah all right I'm not gonna lie this is nerve-wracking like this is I'm excited and nervous um, I've preached at some different campus ministry things before um, but I think God has taught me a lot over the past couple of years about the church and how God wants the church to be the church and the importance of the local church. So I'm really excited to preach to the local church that I'm a part of. Um, we are going to be in Psalm 146, so you can turn to Psalm 146. Um, and the reason I'm excited to go through one of the Psalms is because the book of Psalms is a book of prayers and songs to the Lord, but it also kind of helps us navigate the different ups and downs of life. And show us how to praise God during different times of our life. There's psalms about suffering. There's psalms about times when uh, the psalm writer is going through really bad sin. There's times where the psalm writer is going through times of great victory. But throughout all of the psalms, we kind of get this picture of what it looks like to praise God um, through all these different life circumstances. And that's kind of the, the way we're going to view this psalm. is kind of a, a thing that shows us how to praise God in every circumstance. And I'm excited to preach from Psalm 146 because this text has just not been preached on by hardly anyone. Like I was looking, I was Googling like to see if there was like any notable preacher that I could like listen to and kind of like steal a couple of things from. Like in pretty much every preacher does that in case you didn't know. Um, but, I was, but I couldn't find anything. And I was like, I don't know if I want to listen to somebody else because like they might say something that's a little bit off. Um, but you know, God's word is God's word and it's inspired. So we're going to get some great truths out of this tonight. Um, I'm going to read the psalm and then we'll just dive straight into it. So it says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. 
The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. So let's just pray one more time before we dive into this. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us. God, that you would use me, God, a weak sinner, to proclaim your glory and your word tonight. We ask that you would speak and that I would just get out of the way. And we ask all this in your son's name. Amen. So I've got a three-point sermon. Um, We wouldn't be like a good Baptist church if I didn't have a three-point sermon. So the first point is that praise is a discipline. And this comes straight from the text. Starting off in the first verse, we'll just read it again. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live, and I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. So the thing that we can see from this psalm is that we are created to praise We are created to praise God, and we inevitably, we are like praise-wired creatures, and we are always uh, praising something, but most of the time it's not God, but inevitably we're always praising something. I've got a a quote from the Westminster Catechism. It's like a a thing that explains the Reformed faith, Um, and it's, it's in question and answer form. And the first question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We were created to praise. And in Colossians 1.16, it says this. We've been going over this in a VBS and talking about this. But at the end of Colossians 1.16, it says, All things were created through Him and for Him. So we as humans were created by God, but we weren't just created by God. We were created for God and for His glory and to praise Him. But the reality is so often we don't praise Him. So often we are devoting ourselves to things that are not God. Um, And as we think about praise, that's why we have to think about praise as a discipline. Because we're constantly devoting ourselves to other things. And we have to grow in this ability and grow in God to praise Him more and more. And I think a lot of this kind of misconception of praise and kind of the reason we, we, we kind of almost like, we almost think of praise as like a burdensome thing, right? Like praising God is like this really hard thing to do. And knowing that we were created to do it kind of starts to take that burden off of us. But I think a lot of us kind of have these misconceptions about praise because we kind of think of it as a, as a feeling and not a thing that we choose to do. Like growing up in this American culture, we're kind of wired to, like, to think like praise is kind of based off of how we feel. It's like we have to have the right mood. We have to have the right songs. We kind of have to have everything in the right place. And then once everything feels good, then we can start to praise God. But that's not the way that praise is mentioned in the Bible at all. Praise is mentioned as a choice that we make and decide to put our trust in God. And I think at Crosspoint, we do a good job of kind of trying to preach against that only experiential Christianity. But I think we still, a lot of times, still kind of functionally live that way. Like if you're on the way to church and your kids have been acting real bad and, you know, just something happens with your car on the way there and then you get to church and for some reason you're like, I just don't really feel like I can praise to like the fullest of my ability. But praise is not something that we feel. It's something that we choose to do. And what praise is actually all about, it's all about putting your trust in God who doesn't change no matter what the circumstances are. If the circumstances are changing, if all the things around you are changing, you're putting your trust in the God who doesn't change. It's about shifting our focus from the way that all these things in this world are going and putting our focus on the God 
who doesn't change. That's what praise is all about. And I think that this can actually offer hope to a lot of us and a lot of, the, a lot of Christians who struggle with depression. And this isn't directly in the text, but I just kind of felt led to say this. Because praise is a choice. And when I say that, I don't want to say that, you know, Christianity has no experience to it whatsoever. Obviously, we know that. And as we seek Him and we praise Him, we will experience Him. But we know that we won't fully experience the presence of God and the experience that He can give until we're in heaven with Him forever. But I think this can offer hope to the depressed Christian. Because a lot of Christians and a lot of depressed Christians feel like they're kind of a lesser Christian because they're not, they don't feel like they're experiencing what they should be experiencing. I think a lot of us feel that way. But if we know that praise is a choice, then what we can know is that when we choose to praise God, even when we don't feel like it, God is honored in that. That God's not looking down on us just going, praise me, and like if you don't feel this certain way all the time and, and you know, like have this emotional experience all the time, that we can still praise Him even when it feels, uh, doesn't feel right. And He is honored in that. And I think this can point us to the gospel from the very beginning. Because if we look at the gospel, we see God becomes a man, Jesus Christ, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, comes and lives the perfect life and lives a perfect life of obedience. But certainly he wasn't just always walking around as like this happy-go-lucky human being. I mean, when you look at Jesus in uh, praying to God before he goes to the cross, the Gospels say that he was in so much anguish that he was sweating drops of blood. And I can just imagine like an American Christian walking, walking along and being like, man, what's wrong with you, Jesus? Like, you need to like get up and like be more positive. Like, what's wrong with you? You're struggling with like this anxiety and stuff. Like, you know, be more happy. But that's not what praise looked like in that moment. What praise looked like for Christ in that moment was he was in anguish. And he was in tears. And he even said, God, if there is any other way that this can happen, let it be so. But he also said, it's not my will, it's the Father's will. And that's what praise looks like. And I think that there is a beautiful opportunity or a beautiful picture of the Christian life when we see that it's almost like we can praise God more in suffering. When things are going wrong or things are going great, it's easy to like, you know, thank God for things. But the beautiful thing about praise is that we can almost experience God more or, or praise Him more when we're going through suffering because we're putting our hope and trust in Him even when all the things around us are changing. So praise is a discipline. It's something that we have to grow in. It's something that we have to fight for. We have to fight for joy in God. It is a discipline. Now, as we think about praise being a discipline, and we talked about how praise is something that we're wired to do, the second point is that only God deserves praise. Only God deserves praise because inevitably we're always devoting ourselves to something. And a lot of times it's not God. There's this interesting contrast that the uh, psalmist gives here in verses 3 through 10 between kind of the things that we generally devote ourselves to and the God that we should be devoting ourselves to. And in verse 3, he says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. 
So a lot of times the Israelites, the people of God, you know, they would be fighting these different battles and they would be um, trying to experience victory in battle and they, would, they needed provision and all these things. And, and a lot of times they would look to the Lord and they would look to him for their hope and their strength. But inevitably they would always kind of go back to these same other idols or look to a human person for those things instead of God. I think a good example is in 1 Samuel. Um, when the people of God, if you look all through the book of Judges, they, they went through this cycle of sin where they would, they would sin and they would realize their sin was bad, so they would repent and turn to God and realize he was better and there would be peace, but then eventually they would go back to sin and keep doing this thing all over and over and over again. And then when we get to 1 Samuel, uh, the people of God don't have an earthly king. They just have God as their king. And that's great. He is the perfect king. But then they ask God for a human king. Why? Because they're sinful, and they just keep going back to these same things over and over again. And that king was Saul, and when Saul became king over them, he was a terrible king. And he did bad things, and he came up short. He fell up short. He wasn't the perfect king that they needed in God. Now, when we look at that, we think that's so dumb. Why would they keep going back to the same thing? But as humans, we do the exact same thing. You think about sins in our life that we give ourselves over to you know, over and over and over again. It's the exact same thing. It's realizing that God is better, that he is uh, where our salva- salvation comes from. He is who we put our hope in. He is the only one that can offer eternal life, eternal joy and satisfaction. But inevitably as time goes on, we kind of slip, slip into that temptation and then we inevitably give ourselves over to sin, to sin again and again and again. And the reason that's so important is because sin is a praise issue. It's not just a behavioral issue. The sin in our life is not just something that we're just doing because we just do it. It's a sign of what's going on in our hearts and that we've devoted ourselves to something that one doesn't deserve to have have anything devoted to. It Sin doesn't deserve any of our attention. It's also showing that we have chosen to think that something else is better than God. So how do we combat that? Well, I think the psalm gives us a perfect way to combat that and to praise God alone. And I really like the way that kind of psalms are set up and way kind of the Bible is set up because it gives us this command in the first two verses, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. So it's commanding us to do something, but it doesn't just leave, us, leave it at that. It gives you an argument for why you should praise God. Look at what it says about the Son of Man. And when we talk about the Son of Man, we know that we're just referring to kind of all things that we can devote ourselves to instead of God. It says, Put not your trust in princes in a Son of Man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. So the argument that the psalmist is making is saying you should praise the Lord first because offering yourself to anything other than God is just going to come up short. And it is inevitably going to pass away. And the thing about sin is that sin will give you a moment of satisfaction, but after that moment of satisfaction, it will just bring guilt and pain. And if you stay in sin, it will bring death. It will even destroy you. So the argument that the psalmist is making is don't put your trust in these things that will only give you temporary joy and not even real true joy and then will inevitably end up destroying you. And then he makes an argument for why you should put your trust in God alone. Verses 5 through 10. And what I really like about Psalms is that they don't spend a ton of time talking about the bad, like 
the, the sin and why the sin is bad. It spends about two verses you know, saying, here's the bad things about sin, but then it spends all these more verses talking about the greatness and the glory of God. Look at what it says in verses 5 through 10. It says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. Remember, that goes back to we were created to praise him. He created us, and we were created for his praise, who keeps faith forever. Remembering that God is faithful to his people, even when they're not faithful to him, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. He loves his people and he cares for them. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin and the Lord will reign forever. So sin, we know that sin is a temporary thing that will only bring regret and pain and destroy us. But God, praising God, while it might be hard in the moment, it will bring eternal joy. It will bring eternal satisfaction. And I love that argument that he gives because he contrasts the Son of Man that will perish, the thing that will fade away so fast, and the eternal sovereign God over the universe. And this is kind of like a formula for us to praise. Like, you can't boil down the Christian life to a formula. You can't just plug in you know, this thing and this thing and this thing, and then we'll just become a better Christian. But it is kind of a formula for praise saying, remind yourself of all the bad things that sin does and how it will do nothing for you. And then remind yourself even more of the greatness of God. Preach it to yourself every single day when you wake up. Remind yourself that God is better when you're tempted to sin. You have to make yourself believe God is better because he is. And not only do we need to preach it to ourselves. We need to preach it to each other. This is a congregational psalm that the psalmist is writing. As the people of God who are members of a local church committed to one another, we have to be committed to reminding each other of the character and greatness of God. I don't think there is an extent to which we can do that enough. I think we consistently have to do that and remind ourselves and preach ourselves to ourselves, stir ourselves up to praise through the attributes of of God. But then there's one last thing that will kind of make all this click together and help us think straight about this. Um, the third point is that the gospel helps us praise. And I just want to start first in verses 5 through 10 and kind of show how all these gospel truths just spring off of the page. It says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. Think about the God who created the whole universe and is eternal, became a man. And we can see his faithfulness to his creatures, not just in some kind of like distant, weird way, but in a tangible way. In him becoming like us, Jesus coming to earth and taking on the very same things that we take, uh, take in everyday life. Verse 7, it says, who executes justice for the oppressed who gives food to the hungry. Certainly there is a literal sense in which we see that take place. There's also a spiritual truth behind that. He gives food to the hungry. It says uh, in Matthew 5 that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He will satisfy them. For any of us who are hungering for more of God, He will satisfy us. The Lord sets the prisoner free. Certainly He can sovereignly rule over His creation and set a literal prisoner free from prison. But spiritually, we are all prisoners. And God, through His Spirit, sets us free through the work 
of Christ, his perfect life, death, and resurrection. He sets us free from sin. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. He can physically do that, but he spiritually does that as well. All of our um, spiritual eyes are blinded by the God of this world, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, he opens up our eyes so that we can see the truth of the gospel and love him. And the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Man, that really hits me hard because it makes me think about the humbleness of Jesus. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. That he comes into his creation and he puts himself below all of us in serving us and dying a brutal death on the cross for us. And the Lord loves the righteous. And we know that that doesn't mean that he loves those who have done good enough things to get to him. It means that he has a specific love for the people that he has chosen to save. And that he sets that love upon them. And he makes them righteous. And the reality of the gospel is, I wouldn't say the gospel just helps us praise. I actually wish I would have changed that now. The gospel doesn't just help us praise. The gospel allows us to praise. Do you realize that the only reason that any of us are in this room right now, sitting here, if we have any desire to hear from the word, that is all because of God. And it is all because of his work. And the reason that that leads us to praise is because it's not about you and me. Certainly we are saved in the gospel, so it applies to us, but that doesn't lead us back to ourselves. It leads us all to him. How could we think that we could take credit for something that God alone has done? And that's how the gospel leads us to praise. Um, I pray that we are encouraged tonight by this. Um, and as we try to live this life of praise and devotion to God, that the gospel would ring true in our hearts, that we would pray through the Psalms, that we would um, encourage one another, and that we just sink our uh, lives into the gospel. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll be done. God, thank you. Um, thank you for using me. God, I pray that everything that I said would be from you, and inevitably there were things that were not from you, but you, I'm confident in your word that, that you communicated the truth that you wanted to communicate. Um, God, just thank you, and we ask all this in your son's name. Amen.